morning to the sixth chapter of John, and we'll be reading verses 26 and 27. John chapter 6 and verses 26 and 27. This will be the 18th message in the series on the subject of the entire counsel of God, and we're going to continue along the line of the spiritual nature of God. I thought that we had finished with this, that God would have us another message or two on dealing with some of the aspects that if God is a spirit, then how should this apply to our lives and direct our relationship to him? We've seen thus far in this aspect that God is a spirit, and because of this, we are to be participating in a spiritual salvation, that God has delivered us through his grace and produced justification, sanctification, and glorification. We've also seen that if God is a spirit, that we are to give him spiritual worship. We've also seen that if God is a spirit, we are to have spiritual discernment on what is of God and what isn't. And today I want to deal with this subject, and that is spiritual indifference. Spiritual indifference to the things of God. And we might describe that in another word as spiritual boredom. Do the things of God bore you? Or do you have an interest in the things of God if they are spiritual? Then do you feast upon those? Or when God is presented in worship, would you just as soon be doing something else? And when you come to church, are you bored stiff with what you have to go through? Spiritual indifference to the things of God. I read a few days ago in the column of Dr. Billy Graham, an individual wrote into him, and I believe it was a young lady, that said, Dr. Graham, when I go to church, I am bored stiff, to use those words, and she said, can't you please tell the preachers to do something to make the services more exciting? She said, I don't get anything out of them. So he gave her a reply, and he said, well, first of all, I don't know the condition of your church you're going to, but he said, first, I think that your problem is not with the church you're going to, probably, but it's with your internal attitude of your heart. And he said, it's not that which goes into a man that defiles a man, but that which comes out. And true spirituality is not something that begins on the outside and goes in. The true spirituality is something that begins in here. And he said, first, I would recommend for you to get in a right relationship with God, and then you might find the things of God having a little more taste uh, to you. So we're going to deal with this matter this morning as Jesus dealt with it in John chapter 6 and beginning in verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Ye seek me not because ye saw the miracles, but because ye did eat of the loaves and were filled. Now here he's addressing a multitude at a later time in which he had previously spoken to them and in that discourse he had performed the miracle of the loaves and the fishes. And this attracted great interest. And now this same congregation comes back to hear him again, and Jesus gives a very stern rebuke. He says, you are not really back to receive the things which I have and the things which I am, 
but you're only following me for the loaves and the fishes. That is what you can get out of it in the carnal realm, and you're not really interested in my teachings as to who I am and what I came to do. And then he says this in Matthew in verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him hath God the Father sealed. And then he begins his great discourse on what is known as the bread of life. I want to read over in verse 48 to you. He says, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. And then the Jews began to get confused. They began to murmur, and they said, Well, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And in another passage of Scripture, our Lord says that man does not live by bread alone, but by everything which, every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. So what Christ was teaching in this great discourse was not that he had bread which was to be given to satisfy the carnal or the physical nature of man, but that his teachings, his words, were that of life which would satisfy the spiritual nature of man. And the Jews and the unbelievers did not understand what he was talking about. And to such a degree that they even eventually in the passage well, he would tell them, it is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And then, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Wherever that we, we go in the preaching of the gospel, we always come across individuals that initially embrace some aspect of the teaching of Christ and then you can return years later and they're no longer holding to those teachings. That is, they've gone back into the world. They no longer have any interest in the teachings of Jesus Christ. And this causes a problem in the minds of many. They don't understand what has happened. And they wonder, well, maybe it's something I did. Or maybe our church just wasn't spiritual enough. And that's why they weren't interested uh, maybe our minister just didn't preach uh, the way he ought to preach. And as the young lady said to Dr. Graham, why don't you tell the preachers to get a little more excited, or that is to, uh, to put some life into their services. And so uh, wherever you go, while uh, you come across this, and people are wondering, well, what causes people to quit following Christ and to go back? Well, may I remind you to hear from this, that Jesus Christ himself, the greatest teacher that ever lived, of whom it was said, never a man spake like this man, had individuals that initially followed him and then left him and went back into the world. And if that happened under the earthly ministry of Christ, think it not uncommon if it's going to happen under the earthly ministries of other men and other churches. There are always going to be people who are going to initially embrace the teachings of Christ and then go back and leave those teachings. Now, I want us to look at this, what causes spiritual indifference and how it is to be dealt with. I'd invite first uh, for our thought this morning in this text, and that is, that 
what Jesus set forth as being the cost of following him. It costs something to be a Christian. It really does. Salvation by grace through faith is free from God's standpoint in that there are no conditions he imparts grace. But my friend, to whomever receives that grace, there's going to be a great cost to that individual's life. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 10, must turn there in verse 32, sets forth a warning ahead of time as to those who were considering following him and being one of his disciples. In Matthew chapter 10, he gives these words, beginning in verse 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Now listen carefully to this. Think not that I am come to send peace on earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I am come to set a man at variance against his father, and the daughter against her mother, and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foes shall be they of his own household. He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. That's pretty strict, isn't it? That's pretty narrow. That is, there's going to be a cost to being a Christian. It may cost you the friendship of those whom you love the dearest. And you will find, if you're truly a Christian, that before very long, you're going to find that your foes are those whom you have been the closest with before you became a Christian. It may even be those of your own household, those that you've been the closest acquainted with. But whoever is not willing to take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me, according to the teachings of Christ. So this is setting forth that in embracing the gospel, that a man is to sit down and count the cost because there is going to be something involved in setting forth for his course to the celestial city. I'd like for us to concentrate upon something now in which that I think that we gave you in the church, uh, the beacon this past week. As to this is Thanksgiving time, we're thinking back upon the founding of our country as to what brought those people here to settle in this country, the United States of America. And I would call to your attention that the sole thing which brought the Puritans or the pilgrims of this country was to receive the spiritual blessings of being able to worship their God. It was nothing that this country offered as far as silver and gold because they never found that. They found hardship and death. But when they came, I want to bear this in, you to bear this in mind. Why did they come? And at the same time, why should a person follow Jesus Christ? And what should they expect to receive? This is many of the re reasons why people initially embrace Christ and then go back and walk no more with him, is that they do not receive that which they thought they would receive. That is, many people embrace Christ because they think that by doing so they will receive something in the carnal realm. 
rather than seeing that Christ and what he has to offer is primarily deliverance from our sin and victory over the lust of our flesh. And when that cost begins to be exempted or set forth, then we see individuals losing interest in the things of God. Now, you see that? As when individuals find that Christ is not just offering them loaves and fishes for to take care of their carnal man, but that he offers them spiritual deliverance to deliver them from their, uh, in their inward man, then that's what causes the unrenewed man to lose interest in the things of Christ. But now bearing this in mind as to when the Puritans came to America, it's interesting to note how the sheep will follow their shepherd. As many of the Puritan ministers were driven from England by persecution, the sheep followed. Many older Christians were prepared to cross the Atlantic rather than lose the benefit of the preaching under which they had grown to love. Before John Cotton decided to leave his native land, he asked the advice of John Dodd as to whether he should go. Dodd was one of the older leaders in the Puritan movement, and he lived to be 90 years old. And Dodd advised him to go. He said these words, I am old Peter, and therefore must stand still and bear the blunt. But you, being young Peter, may go wherever you will, and ought, being persecuted in one city, to flee into another. But Cotton objected as to what would happen to their people if the Puritan pastors departed from England, to which Dodd replied, The removing of a minister is like the draining of a fish pond. The good fish will follow the water, but eels and other, other baggage fish will stick in the mud. And that's exactly what happens. When God's prime servants were driven out of England for preaching the gospel, and those ministers came here to this country, their congregations packed up their bags literally and came with them. Are you aware that of the 102 people on the Mayflower, 98 of them belong to one Baptist congregation, or to one congregation in England? And they came with their pastors and settled here in America. They so wanted the spiritual blessings which those men could impart that they were willing to leave the benefits of their home life and come to this country where they could follow their pastors. And this is one of the greatest proof of the power of the gospel in the ministry of the men who led the Exodus to New England is the fact that they offered, now listen, nothing but spiritual benefits and yet they were followed by such a multitude. They could not promise these people silver and gold. They could not promise them a great home. They could not promise them prosperity. But all they could promise them was that they would have the word of God to be preached unto them. Thomas Hooker would write back to some who were hesitant on crossing the Atlantic to the United States, and he would say this, It is not gold and prosperity which makes God to be our God. Though there are many places where men may receive and expect more earthly commodities, yet I do believe that there is no place this day upon the face of the earth where a gracious heart and a judicious head may receive more spiritual good to himself and be more temporal and spiritual good to others. John Winthrop, who came over in 1630 to this country with a large group of the Puritans, within... Eighteen months, 200 of that group died with sickness. 
And yet we find that man riding back to England, and here's what he has to say. The Lord is pleased still to humble us, yet he mixes so many mercies with his corrections. As we are persuaded, he will not cast us off, but in due time will do us good. We may not look at great things here. It is enough that we shall have heaven, though we shall pass through hell to it. We here enjoy God in Jesus Christ. Is not this enough? I do not repent of my coming, and if I were to come again, I would not have altered my course, though I had foreseen these many afflictions. One of the men, when he came off the Mayflower and landed in the first landing party, later learned that when he returned to the ship, that his wife had fallen overboard and drowned, and yet he became one of the governors in that early colony. I want to pose this question today. When we have so many people in 1976 who are bored stiff through an average church service, what is the difference between the attitude today and the attitude that produced such character of lives that would cause individuals to leave all of the comforts of their home, their families, have to tell goodbye to their grandmother and their grandfathers and all their friends, and set out for a country in which that they didn't even know what was going to be there. My friend, I say they must have had something far more than today's average church member who's bored stiff by going to a church service. They must have found something that today's church entity is not producing. And I think it is. Another one of the settlers gives this testimony. He says, I take notice of it as a great favor of God, not only to preserve my life, but to give me contentedness in all our straits, insomuch that I do not remember that ever I did wish in my heart that I had never come unto this country or wished myself back again to my father's house. The Lord Jesus Christ was so plainly held out in the preaching of the gospel and God's Holy Spirit was pleased to accompany the Word with such efficacy to many that our hearts were taken off from old England and set upon heaven. The discourse not only of the age but also of the youth was not how shall we go back to England but how shall we go to heaven. In other words, they didn't have any problem with the young people in the community either. They weren't bored with what was being presented because their things were set upon the spiritual things of God. Now, that's what the difference is. But what causes indifference? What causes spiritual indifference to the bread of life? Why can Christ say that he is the bread of life, and yet unto many they have no interest whatsoever in that bread? Well, there is a reason. Turn back now to the book of Matthew, chapter 15, and verse 17. Matthew, chapter 15, and verse 17. And Jesus said, Are ye also yet without understanding? Do not yet you yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth out in the belly, and is cast out in the draught? But those things which proceed out of the mouth come forth from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceeds evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, and blasphemies. These are the things which defileth man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. In other words, it's not the external acts of washing the hands that is pleasing to God and would make a man clean before God. 
But cleanness and spirituality originates within the heart of man. So that man does not become spiritual by things external. But God is a spirit, and they who would worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, and it must originate within a new heart. And the reason that most people are bored with the things of God is they have no heart for the things of God. If I set to you a great, big, beautiful steak dinner, and yet you were in the hospital with an upset stomach, I doubt even that would be receptive to you, would it? Because it's not anything wrong in the steak, it's in the appetite. And what's wrong today is not the preaching of the gospel when Christ is presented in his purity, but it's in the appetite of the hearer. That is, they would rather have the carnal things, the loaves and the fishes, rather than the things which are of God, the understanding of his spiritual nature and how that his words are life and truth. I want to point this out, an example of it, back in the Old Testament. In the book of Numbers, chapter 11, uh, we have the account of the children of Israel in the uh, wilderness journeys. They've been redeemed out of Egyptian bondage. And when they left there, there was a group of Egyptians went with them. And they were called the mixed multitude. That is, that they were not truly Israelites, they were not truly converted, but yet, they followed along because they saw some of the externals that took place. And they began to murmur when things got hard. That is, when there wasn't anything to drink and anything to eat, then this mixed multitude began to murmur and complain. Verse 4 of Numbers 11. And the mixed multitude that was among them fell a-lusting. And the children of Israel also wept again and said, Who shall give us flesh to eat? We remember the fish which we did eat in Egypt freely, the cucumbers, the melons, and the leeks, and the onions, and the garlic. But now our soul is dried away. There is nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. Now, you want to see spiritual indifference? Here every morning they could go out and the ground would be covered from the miraculous manna which came down from heaven. It was there at their disposal. And yet they became so disinterested in that, they became so tired and bored with it, that they said, oh, if we just had some flesh to eat, if we just had some onions and some good garlics that we had down there in, uh, in Egypt, how much better our life would be. Oh, I wish we could go back to Egypt where we had it good. We're out here in the desert now and we're going to die and there's nothing out here to excite us. Now that sounds much like the young lady that wrote in the Dr. Brown. I'm bored stiff with the things of God. There's nothing in it to excite me. And the Jews weren't excited about it either. And many today who go out of the title Christian are not excited at all about the things of God because they're looking for the things of God in the physical and the material realm. And they would rather have onions and garlics and things along this line, and their soul is dried up. Now, here's the reason why people are indifferent. It's not because of their circumstances. It's not because of something external. If you're indifferent to the things of God this morning, my friend, spirituality must begin right here. I can't make you spiritual. This church can't make you spiritual. I can't give you an appetite for the things of God's Word. It's going to have to have an origin in the human heart whereby an appetite is given for the things of God. 
And if that appetite isn't there, then you're going to get as bored with the things of God as these people did here in the wilderness with the heavenly manna which came down. Now remember, Jesus said, I am the bread from heaven. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they got bored with it. I have now come, and I'm offering myself as the bread of life. And the Jews were as bored with it as they were in the Old Testament times. It is the spiritual things that Christ has to offer which we are to seek out after. Now, I want to show you again the curse upon indifference. The curse upon indifference toward the things of God. Numbers chapter 11 and verse 33. Now, God listened to their request. They began to mumble and complain. And they said, oh, we just had some flesh. So God says, all right, I'll give you some flesh. And I particularly appreciate this portion because I'm a quail hunter. And God brought up a wind and brought so many quails that they could just pick them right out of the air and right off of the ground. And here they came all through the camp. Quails everywhere. But God says something's going to happen. He says, I'm going to give you all the flesh you want to eat, but while you're still eating it, you're going to get bored of it too. You're going to despise it. So here the flesh came. In verse 33, And while the flesh was yet between their teeth, ere it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was kindled against the people, and the Lord smote the people with a very great plague. And you see that they began to despise even those quails. Now, in the book of Psalms, chapter 106, here is a commentary by the psalmist years later of what happened back here in this particular account. In Psalms, chapter 106 and verse 12, describing this event. Now, remember, God gave them what they wanted. They wanted flesh rather than manna. God gave it to them, but he also put a curse upon them in connection with it. And here's what happened. Then believed they his words, they sang his praise, they soon forgot his works, they waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. Now may God impress this verse upon you here. And he gave them their request, but sent leanness unto their souls. Today, congregations throughout the land are hungering and thirsting after the things in the external realm. And pastors, in order to entertain them, are trying continually to come up with some new program or some new way to try to get people excited and entertained. And what is happening? If that's what the people want, God will give it to them. God just might give you the desires of your heart. But I'll guarantee you there's something, as I observe in going from church to church and dealing with these problems, there's something that God is also sending. He's sending a great leanness of soul. And you're going to see another five to ten years, many of these churches which have used fleshly methods of getting new people in, you're going to see them and having such fights and grumblings and complainings among them when those people begin to think, now here's what we used to have back out here in the world. We want to run our church the way the world runs its business. And thereby, instead of having a song service, well, we want to have a honky-tonk or something like that. And rather than having the preacher preach, let's just get around and talk about a few things. And the preaching of the word will become despised. It's already becoming despised. 
And God is said to be in all of this. Right now, Brother Powell, what's happening is God is sending the quails throughout the land. And the people are just eating it up. And the churches are growing that are using this approach. But God's also sending something else. He's sending a curse. There's great leanness of soul which is coming. And because man does not live by bread alone, but by the words of God, and when people are not interested in the words of God, they'd rather have the quails and the leeks and the onions and the garlic. There's going to become a accompanying curse with that. And so ministers today are making a grave mistake when they try to appeal to the carnal rather than to the spiritual. I just wonder, uh, Brother Carney, if you, if I were your pastor in London and I was cast out of England, by the established religion, and I set off to come to America, I wonder, would you, for the sake of following the Word of God, have turned to your wife and family and said, we're going to America? It means that we're going to lose our job, we're going to have to give our house up, we're going to have to depart with loved ones, but we want the things of God. I wonder if that is our priority today. Now, we don't have to reestablish another America, but we as a church here have to make a priority. What do we desire as a group of people? What do I have to offer you? You ought to be asking that question. What do I as a minister of the gospel have to offer you, to excite you, to enthuse you? And my friend, I'll have to be honest before Jesus Christ who's called me into the ministry. I have nothing to promise you but peace with God and a cross to bear. That's all I can promise you. I can't promise you great prosperity. I can't promise you this and I can't promise you that. All I can promise you is the Word of God because that's what God has called me to bring. I cannot but a life of me promise you the same thing you had in Egypt. I cannot excite you with onions and leeks and garlics and all those spices which makes life which life is made up of. Remember the adage of this age which is old, variety is the spice of life? That's what the world goes after. It must have something new continually. But I may say under the sight of God today that I have nothing but the old, old story of Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and that those that would embrace that are going to have a cross to bear. And the more that you follow that Christ, the more you may see the world's wrath poured out upon you. That's all I have to offer. If that isn't sufficient, then perhaps I guess you may need to meet with uh, Mr. Carney and some of the other deacons here and, and decide, well, we want another pastor which will give us something else. Because that's all that I have to give. And if that be not sufficient, then we'll find another uh, group of sheep, and you can find another pastor and so forth. But I believe that there are some people here today that you're here not to make a show. That you're going to go home in a minute, and you're going to get some of those onions and those garlics and those leeks. And you're going to go throughout your daily job, and you're going to treat your fellow man as you should, but you're also here today in order to receive something from God's Word that will lift you up and set you in heavenly places in Christ. 
And that's what God has put me here for. Now, if that bores you, then my friend, don't put the blame on me. Don't put the blame on this church. Look within your own heart and see if that heart has a spiritual appetite for the things of God. And if it doesn't, then you need to look within and start dealing with God there rather than passing the blame to elsewhere the way Eve did when God said, Eve, what have you done? Or rather, Adam, what have you done? And he says, the woman, she's why I'm not spiritual. Eve, what have you done? The devil made me do it. You see, spirituality cannot be blamed upon someone else. It must originate within our own hearts. Now, how do we cure indifference? You say, Pastor, I have such a cold heart today. I know that I don't appreciate the Bible. I know that my prayer life is not what it ought to be. I know that I am not enjoying the fellowship with other Christians as I should, and I find my heart so cold that I sometimes even wonder whether I'm a Christian or not. But what's the cure for this? Lamentations 5.21, the writer cries out to God, Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. But if you find your heart so cold that you can't even maneuver toward the things of God, then my friend, you need to get down before God and say, Oh God, warm my heart up and turn it, and then I shall be turned. I cannot turn myself. I cannot just plug in a button and produce spirituality. I cannot just go to a religious service and walk away spiritual. God, unless that you turn my affections and my desires toward you, they will not be turned. So he prays out, Turn thou us unto thee, O Lord, and we shall be turned. You ever find yourself like that? You ever find yourself growing a little bit cold and indifferent towards your duty toward God? Well, you just can't crank up old Adam. You're going to have to beseech the throne of God and ask him to turn you. And if you found yourself growing a little bit cold toward the services of God, toward the assembling with the saints of God, then, my friend, don't blame the saints. They all have enough sin that you could blame every one of them. You could blame me because I'm a sinner like everyone else. But don't put the blame upon some external source for your own spiritual relationship with God. God won't let you do that. It must come between you and God. And if your heart is not right and you're indifferent to the things of God, then you've got to deal directly with God and you've got to ask Him to turn your heart and give you an appetite toward the things of God. I remember when I was a young person, I used to despise going to church. And I despised preachers, despised the Bible. And when they'd preach, well, I'd maybe listen to their text. And then I'd be thinking about the basketball games or the baseball games, and my mind wouldn't even be there the rest of that time. Now, what was the problem? I was unconverted. I didn't have any appetite. I didn't have any nature for what the preacher was saying. But I'll guarantee you, when I got out there on the ball diamond, I knew every little move that went on. Because there's where my heart was. There's where my understanding was. And it wasn't until God met me in the person of Christ and converted my life and converted my heart that I could sit under a sermon and have any appreciation for it. And I would ask you today that if you are bored with the things of God, just like the people of Israel, give us some quails, give us some flesh. We don't like this manna. It's light bread. Then don't b blame the manna. Don't blame God. 
Don't blame Moses, but look within and see whether the heart has an appetite for the true things of God or not. Let's stand together, Brother Paul.